Well, good morning. God is good? And all the time? Amen. Well, it is a joy to be here this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you're a visitor, a guest, thank you for being here. If you would fill out the card in the seat back pocket in front of you, we'd love to know about your visit. You can place that in the offering boxes as you leave uh, at the end, and we'd love just to share with you more about Luke 418 Fellowship. Uh, I just want to share a few things with you. You just saw some pictures of our uh, children's camp this past week. Melanie and Miss Kelsey did a fantastic job, fantastic job. And thank you for all those who helped and support. I heard that there was several who uh, are coming to be baptized. Um, at least one, maybe more professions of faith. Um, there's several others that have a lot of questions and are being followed up with. And so let's just let the Lord, let's give the Lord a, a, just a, a applause for what he's done. Also want to share with you as we have a very impactful summer. I was going to use the word busy, but I don't use the word busy anymore. Uh, we had a very, we have a very big summer, and so leaving tomorrow is our kids going to summer camp, and so we need to be praying for our students as they head to Shaco Springs this week. I believe it's Monday through Friday, um, so we want to be praying for them as they head out as well. Thank you so much for praying for me as I travel to D.C. and back uh, in 36 hours. Um, but for those uh, who were able to watch and be a part, thank you. It was uh, to God be the glory. It is all the Lord um, in what took place. Uh, I also want to share with you that at the end today, we're going to have a time of praying for our uh, Alaskan mission team that's going to support uh, Pastor Tracy. He is a pastor in uh, Anchorage, Alaska. We got 39 that are leaving this Friday. Um, Friday and Saturday, we have two different flights going out. So we'll be praying for them as we leave today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time together. Father, you, you're so good and we praise your holy name. And Father, this morning we recognize that we are desperately dependent upon you for all things. So Father, as we come into this place, we pray that our hearts would be in tune to what you are speaking and that we would walk in obedience of that. Father, I pray that you would place me on the front row and allow me just to hear what you're speaking as well. Most of all, may your name be glorified in this place. It's in your precious and holy name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. We're so glad that you came to worship with us today. We have one more announcement. Uh, it is a busy summer and it keeps on getting bigger, but I just announced this past week uh, we're going to be partnering with Moffat Road uh, Baptist Church for our Songs for Every Season choir event. Uh, so both choirs are coming together in mass uh, to proclaim that the Lord is Lord of, over it all, no matter what is happening in our life. He is the foundation that we stand on, and that's what we celebrate as the body of Christ today. Why don't you stand together, welcome someone around you as we begin to worship together. Let's sing together. He's coming on the clouds. He's coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break, as broken hearts declare His praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. So open up the gates, make way before the King of Kings. God who comes to save, 
The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow. sing this together. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? We know that's no one. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Sing it, church. Yes, who can stop the Our Savior and our God is like that lion. He's holy. He's just. He cannot abide sin. But He is also that Lamb which has given us grace through His sacrifice. And it's only in Him that we stand today. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. On flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith. This gift, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save. Sing this till on that cross. together there in the ground his body lay there in the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glory I say up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since God together. No guilt in life, no fear in death, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath. 
continue Jesus told his disciples who do you who do you say that I am and Peter piped up he said you're Christ the son of the living God and Jesus looked over him and said on this rock I'll build my church pastor said it I think last week or the week before that that knowledge that he is the son of the living God is what we can stand on we have eternal Assurance in that when we are saved, that we are saved forever. Nothing can ever take us out of the palm of His hand. But we also have assurance in this life that nothing will overtake us, that we have a God that is right by our side. And we have the promise that Jesus tells us in Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Is that anybody in the room today? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the Savior I want to serve. Let's sing together. I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created sing this, to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go, and I see it now, I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. I run to the Father, I fall into grace, I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait, my heart needs my soul needs a friend so I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again oh 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 you saw my condition had a plan from the start your son for redemption amen the price for my heart and i don't have a contest for that kind of love i don't understand i can't comprehend all i know is i need you i run
children So I run to the Father again and again I run to the Father All into grace Done with the hiding No reason to wait Sing it, church My heart bound to search My soul bound to friend So I run to the Father again and again That's our life right now, isn't it? Running to Him again and again and again. Pray without ceasing, right? But there will be one day when we will stop running and we will see Him face to face. And we pray on that day. We say, well, we hear it, well done and good and faithful servant, right? And so we hold that hope as we walk through this life. And this is what this song is about. Before the throne of God above, let's sing together. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, amen. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me pass depart. No tongue can bid me pass depart. When Satan tempts me, to despair and tells me of the guilt within upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin because my sinless Savior died my sinful soul is down and free for God the just is Perfect, spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ, my my Savior and my God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you so humbled and so thankful for everything that you have done for us, the way that you have loved us so unconditionally, the way that you created us to be in your image, to know you, to have a relationship with you as you are in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We pray that we would be your children, that we would obey you, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, awaiting a day when our praise will never end, awaiting a day where all things will be made new. Jesus, King of Kings, lead, guide, and direct our life through your Holy Spirit today. Amen.
Amen. You know, I love that song that we sang that my heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. Is that so true of us today? You know, we have just finished the Sermon on the Mount after spending a year uh, there. I, many of you know that for the month of July, I will be uh, taking a sabbatical, so I will be preaching today, and then in the next uh, weeks, we'll have Matthew Jacobs, uh, Reverend Dr. Al Jackson coming in, Brother Randy Presley, Dr. Jim Shaddix is coming from Southeastern, and then Scott Fortenberry, who is a church planter in Jackson, Mississippi. We have incredible people who are coming to preach uh, God's Word, and I believe that He has put each one of them in our path for this time and for this purpose. I've never done something like this, as I shared with you. I've been here 14 years, and I'll be taking the month of July as the deacons have, uh, we've talked and prayed and sought the Lord, and um, so I will be doing that. I ask that you pray for me, for wisdom, for rest, but also just a time of refuel as I seek the Lord. Um, you know, I, I prayed, I said, Lord, you know, we just finished the Sermon on the Mount. I can't start a series today because that would be a pretty long pause in between. Um, and so as I continue to cry out to the Lord, he just kept bringing me back to Acts chapter 2, the birth of the, the first church or the birth of the church. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be reading Acts 2, 22 through 47. And we're going to look at some of the characteristics that we see in the first church and, and what took place. Now, I want you to be very aware that when we use the word church, we're talking about the church, the body of Christ. Um, you know, oftentimes we look around and we say, well, David, there's a church here and there's a church here and there's a church here and there's a church there. We must recognize that if we are born again, if we've been set free, if we are children of God, then we are all part of the church. Let me just say something that I hope that you know this about my heart, but Luke 4.18 is a portion of the church, and we are all on the same team together. We're all together on the same team we want to support one another. We want to help one another. We want to recognize that if somebody comes to Luke and they say, well, David, I'm just not growing here. I'm going to say, well, well, let me help you find a place to grow. Because we're all in this together. We're on the same team. Today, as we look at the first church, we're going to be looking specifically at the believers during this time. But we're going to look and say, how can we uh, live that out today? Let's read from Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to the end of the chapter. Peter, at the day of Pentecost, he stands up and he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at the right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to sit one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. And he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. 
For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them and saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his words were baptized, and that day added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all of those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their properties and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this incredible passage. Lord, there's a lot here and I pray that you give us the time or that you allow me to speak this morning that we can unpack this. Holy Spirit, give each of us the wisdom to understand your truth. And Father, I pray that you would speak through me. I am desperately dependent on you this morning. And Father, may I just sit on the front row and hear what you're speaking and place this into my life as well. Now, Lord, we love you and praise you, for it's in your holy name. Amen. Here we see the birth of the church. One of the things that I get excited whenever I go over to Israel is I see all these these false religions that are no longer really being worshipped today. You go to Caesarea Philippi and you see the, the altar of Pan and, and, and you see that Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. Well, God's church, Jesus is the head of the church, is still going forth today. But people aren't really worshiping these gods. All it is is ruins there at Caesarea Philippi. But the church continues forth today. So what was so powerful about the first church? The first thing I want you to see is that the first church was a gospel-proclaiming church. Look at what Peter did. Peter stands up before the people, and he proclaims that Jesus is the Christ. Now, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, you want to see the success that took place in the first church? It began by being a gospel-centered, gospel-focused, gospel-preaching church. Look at what Peter did. In verse 23, he says this. He says, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. He preached that the sacrifice of Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Peter speaks of of Jesus going to the cross, dying on the cross for you and for me. He speaks of the sacrifice. And then in verse 24, he goes to the resurrection. He says, but God raised him up, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held in its power. Church, do you recognize that here Peter is saying, Jesus, he died, but praise God, three days later he rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. 
Peter continues on in verse 32 and 33, and he proclaims that Jesus is exalted on high. It says this, Jesus God raised again, to which we are all witnesses, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God. Church, do we recognize that gospel-centered, gospel-proclaiming churches are speaking of the sacrifice, the death, the burial, but also the resurrection and that Jesus has now been exalted. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because the sacrifice is over. There is no other need for a sacrifice. It was finished in completion. You know, I I shared with our new members class this morning that if there was another way for salvation, if there was another need for something else, why why would God send His only Son to be brutally beaten by men and brutally killed by godless men? Think about this for a moment. If there's multiple ways to heaven, why would a loving God say, well, I want one other way and I'm going to do it through the brutal murder of my Son? If there was 10 or 15 other ways... But we recognize, as Peter said, in a gospel-centered focus, he said that Jesus died, Jesus rose, and he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. He has sat down. Why? Because it is finished. But then Peter continues on in this gospel-centered, gospel-focused message, and he says not only has he died, not only has he rose again, not only has he been exalted, But he is the Lord of all. Look at verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Not only did Jesus die, buried, raised again on the third day, exalted on high, but he is Lord over all. All. As Brother Fred often said, uh, quoting people, uh, saints of the past, he would say, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all in your life. Church, we must recognize that when you truly come to a place of salvation, you, rec- you see the Lordship of Christ and you submit under that Lordship. So how could Peter speak a gospel-centered, gospel-focused message here in Acts chapter 2? Because think about it, previous to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Peter was always getting his foot in his mouth. And even so, he ran and denied Christ all the way there at the end of Jesus' life before the resurrection. The reason that Peter was able to speak was because Peter spoke through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 that the Spirit of God fell down on the apostles, on the disciples, on the people in that upper room. And Peter went out in the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, we must recognize that for a church to be a gospel-centered, gospel-focused church, it requires yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit to speak and to proclaim that truth. Even Paul made the same statement. Look in 2 Corinthians, you can see it, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 4 and 5, you'll see it on the screen. This is my life verse. Paul said, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of what? The Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Church, we see that the first church was a gospel-centered, gospel-preaching, gospel-proclamation through the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me just say this, and we'll see this at the end, we'll come back to this, but it's not simply a pastor on Sunday morning or Wednesday night standing up here proclaiming the gospel. We are all called to go forth and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that we see here is that first, there was Christ-centered preaching through the Holy Spirit and it led to repentance. Christ, uh, Christ-glorifying, Christ-centered gospel preaching will lead to repentance. Look at verse 37. In verse 37 and 38, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? 
Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is proclaiming the gospel through us, people are pierced to the heart. I love this. They were pierced to the heart. Why were they pierced to the heart? I believe the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. It says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes on, it says, It's piercing as far as the division, the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Verse 13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are opened and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Church, Too often we find ourselves trying to create repentance in someone's life and what we need to do is just abide in Christ. Let the Holy Spirit speak through us because the Word of God is sharp and powerful. It will cut through the bone. It will cut through the marrow. And it will share the true intentions of one's heart. As they even said, we were pierced to the heart. I love what it says in Isaiah 55, verse 11. My word be uh, be which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty. It will accomplish that which I desire. Church, do we realize that God's word will not return void? It will not return void. One of the things that I often share with people is, is that I praise God for his word because his word will not return void. Mine will. My word will return void. God's word will not. My word will not stand the test of time. God's word will. And so we must proclaim God's truth, God's word that will penetrate the heart of man and pierce through the bone and marrow. And see, when when they were speaking God's word, they were pierced to the heart. And what happened? It led them to what? Repentance. It led them to repentance. Go back because Paul spe- or Peter speaks of this. He says in verse 38, Repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Gospel-centered, Christ-centered proclamation, preaching will lead to the piercing of the heart that brings about repentance of sin. Now, there's a passage in Scripture that is, to me, Uh, the best understanding of repentance, and that's Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, David is repenting before God for that sin which he uh, ultimately uh, had uh, improper relations with uh, Bathsheba, and then, then murder and lying and all of these things that took place. And he was called out, and finally he came to a place of repentance. Can I tell you, church, that true repentance before God will recognize their guilt before holy God. Psalm 51 verse 4, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. True repentance, we recognize our guilt before holy God. Think about what Isaiah, I shared it last week, Isaiah 6, what happened when he saw God high and lifted up? He fell on his face and he said, Woe is me, woe am I, for I am a man of unclean lips. Church, when we truly come to a place of repentance, we are recognizing that we are broken vessels, that we are filthy rags before the holiness of God. True repentance recognizes the guilt before God, but it also recognizes its brokenness before God. Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, You do not delight in a sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. True repentance leads to humbling oneself before the great I am. A brokenness before God. You know, 2 Corinthians 7.10, we could preach a whole message on this one verse. It says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces what? Repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. There's a difference between worldly sorrow 
and godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is a brokenness, a humility, a falling on your face before holy God. Woe am I from a man of unclean lips. Worldly sorrow is, man, I got caught. I got caught. And so now I got to fix all the pieces. And, and oh, I'm sorry that I got caught. A, a godly sorrow is a brokenness and humility. True repentance leads to recognizing our guilt before God. It leads to a brokenness and humility before God. But true repentance also leads to a pursuit of holiness. True repentance leads to a pursuit of holiness. Look at Psalm 51 verse 10 on the screen. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Church, when we truly come to the end of ourself, so to say, when we repent and fall on our face, true repentance is, is a turning from and turning to God, and it is a pursuit of holiness in our life. It's not, oh, I'm sorry I got caught, forgive me, so that I can keep doing this again and again and again. I've heard one pastor say before that true repentance, you've truly repented of things that you've truly turned away from, and not things that you just keep running back to. In the first church, we see that there was a gospel-centered preaching, a Christ-centered proclamation We see in the first church that there was repentance of sin that brought about salvation. But then we see this. We see growth in the first church. True Christ-centered preaching will lead to repentance, which will lead to growth. Can I tell you, things that are alive, they what? Grow. Some of y'all said we had too much rain lately and I got to mow my grass every like three days, right? Well, why are we having to mow our grass every three days? Because your grass is alive. Or the weeds are alive, I don't know. But your grass, your weeds, they're alive. And so they grow. And so then we have to cut our grass. Why? Because things that are alive grow. If your grass was dead, would you have to cut it? No. So things that are alive grow. The scripture says that when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we repent of our sins, that we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He has crossed, we have crossed over from death to life. Church, I'm telling you that if you truly have repented of your sins, if you've come to a place of seeking Christ for forgiveness and falling under the lordship of Christ, there will be growth in your life. Things that are alive will grow. And look in verse 42. How did they grow? They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now in verse 42, you must look closely at that word devote or devote it. Devote means to stay close or persistent to. And can I just tell you, I don't think that y'all need much definition about devotion or being devoted to something. Because we live in Alabama and there's these two teams. Well, there's three because we've got South Alabama and four Troy University, right? But, but I get it. You're born... And they put either orange and blue or red and white on you, okay? And oftentimes your first words can be Roll Tide or War Eagle, right? It can be one of them. And I know, I, I, just, I had to say both so that I don't offend half the crowd. But what I want you to hear is we are devoted to those teams. We plan our Saturdays around the time of when the game's going to be on. We are emotionally distraught when our team loses, We are exhilarated in our heart when our team wins. Right? We understand what devotion means. We wear the colors. We see somebody in another state wearing the same colors and we're like, Roll Tide or War Eagle. And they're like, hey, and they say it back. We understand what devotion means. Church, here in Acts chapter 2 When they came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to fellowship with one another. They were devoted to breaking of bread. On Wednesday nights, and I've got one more Wednesday night, we're going to finish up, and and I've been working through last week and this week, the six core principles to biblical community. Church, as I've shared with you, That we are called to grow in Christ. And how do we grow? 
we grow first in our relationship with Christ, and then we grow in our relationship in one to another. It says they were devoted to the teaching. It says in the book of Hebrews, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly as it is habit for other, but encourage one another. And at church, are we devoted to the teaching of God's word? Now, the only reason we need to be devoted to it is if it's through the proclamation of the Holy Spirit as we just shared just a moment ago. But not only the teaching of God's word, but are we devoted to fellowship with one another? Are we devoted to more than just living life on Sunday and Wednesdays together, but to living life throughout the week together? Are we devoted to breaking bread together, taking of of communion together, and and taking of, of dinner together, and spending life on life? Are we devoted to this? Are we devoted to prayer? Church, I often say this, I said it Wednesday night, but if God answered all your prayers with yes, how many people would benefit more than yourself? If God answered every single prayer that you prayed with a yes, just like you wanted it, how many people would benefit more than yourself? And maybe we can even go further, and how many people would benefit other than just simply benefit being healed from a sickness because oftentimes our prayer is focused around the sick. And listen, we need to pray for the sick. The scripture speaks of that. Call on the elders and pray for those uh, who are sick among you that they may be healed. We absolutely need to do that. But it doesn't say in the scripture that's 95 or 100% of our prayer. We need to be devoted to prayer just as Paul was. Father, I pray that they would be uh, strengthened in the inner man according to the riches of your glory so that Christ may dwell richly in their heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray as Paul did of let your hearts would be enlightened to what is the, the power of God. What is the inheritance that we have? We need to be in prayer for the difficult circumstances and situations in our life and saying, hey, God, you are so much bigger. And so I'm going to let you, I'm going to show how big my God is to these circumstances and those circumstances are going to get real small. Church, are we devoted to prayer, fellowship? Are we devoted to the teaching and being here? The first church, they had gospel-centered preaching the, the, the first church had true repentance. The first church was devoted to the teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. The first church was devoted to community together. I love what it says in verse 43 and 46 of Acts chapter 2. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Wow. Now, I love what one of my dear friends says. Unity does not mean conformity. Unity does not mean conformity. He continues on. He says, all those who believed uh, had all things in common. They began selling their properties and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread in houses. They were taking meals together with gladness and the sincerity of heart. True community says that they were together. They had all things in common. Unity, church, and having all things in common comes from the Holy Spirit of promise. In Ephesians, it says this in verse 4, 1 through 3, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Church, it is the Holy Spirit that brings about unity. When it says they had all things in common, when it says that they were in uh, one mind together, that they were in one mind, church, that was brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. But how do we preserve that unity? How do we preserve the unity? It's very simple. The way that you preserve the unity, as the first church did, is they take their flag and they plant it in the gospel and not in their preferences and their opinions. 
Let me just say, it's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to have a preference. It's okay to have a tradition. But if your flag is planted in one of those and not the gospel, there's no way that we're going to preserve the unity. The flag must be planted in the gospel. And when the gospel is the centrality, when Christ is the center of what we do, then at the end of the day, yes, I have opinion. Yes, I have a preference. But at the end of the day, the gospel is way more important than my preference or my opinion. I'm reminded of Esau. Esau came in hungry. And what did he say? Give me food. And he was like, hey, if you give me your birthright, I'll give you some food. And Esau said, okay. And he traded his birthright for some food. Esau traded his appetite for the, traded, excuse me, the blessings of God for his appetite. Esau gave up the birthright, the blessing of God because he was so focused on his appetite. Church, I'm here to tell you the first church, they allowed the blessing of God to fall on them because they planted their flag in the gospel and not in their personal opinions, not in their preferences, not in their traditions, even though they had none at this point because it was the first church, it just was starting, but their flag was planted in the gospel. I pray that that's who we would be, men and women who say we're going to focus in on the proclamation of the gospel. We're going to focus in on repenting of our sins before holy God. We're going to focus in on devoting ourselves to true community by studying the word of God together by fellowship and breaking of bread and we're going to pray together and we're going to plant our flag in the gospel. Not about my little kingdom but about the big kingdom of God. Church, they continued on and they, they shared their resources together. When your focus is in on the kingdom of God, when your focus is devoted to God's teaching, you recognize that God is provider of all, that he owns a cattle on a thousand hill. You recognize that everything in this earth that you have is actually God's. And when you get to a place where you truly believe and trust that God is your provision, he gives you that grace to be able to help those in need. We see here, says that no one had need. Why? Because they recognized the needs around them and they gave in order to help. They sold things in order to help those. They, the first church recognized that their greatest need was salvation and it was bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And so therefore they were examples and reflections of what God has done in their life by giving of things to others who were in need. Now, they couldn't pay for the salvation of others, but they could reflect the nature of God in the way that they gave, in the way that they trusted in God to be their provision. So we see these things. We see the gospel proclaimed. We see the, the uh, repentance and salvation of sin. We see the growth. We see the community of believers. And then there's one last thing in verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The first church had gospel proclamation. The first church had true salvation and repentance of sin. The first church had growth. The first church had community. The first church saw multiplication. Why? Why? Because they were proclaiming the one thing that could change lives. Why? Because their lives were changed by the gospel. They had had a transformation of heart. Not just behavior modification, but they had had a soul transformation. And they were growing. And they were walking in biblical community together. And they were praying for one another. And they were helping one another. And they were planting their flag in the gospel. And they said, this is what's most important. Christ first. And so they were seeing others come to Christ. Church, can I tell you, it wasn't because they said something just perfectly. It wasn't because they came up with the best way to present the gospel. They weren't the ones who founded the Romans Road or 
the, the, the circles. and No, they just proclaim the truth through their life and through their tongue. Their lives were changed and they saw this multiplication. God was adding, God was adding, God was adding, God was adding. It goes back to what I shared at the beginning of this message that Jesus, when he was in Caesarea Philippi, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Who will build the church? Jesus said, I will build my church. So church, when we look at this, what are we called to do? We're called to go into all the world and share the transformation that's taken place in our life. We're called to go and take the gospel to the nations and to the world. We have one of our first, well, not our first, we have our first team going to Alaska to support one of our local Southern Baptist churches there with Pastor Tracy. He has been there all of his life, serving in some very difficult place. Why? Because the sun doesn't even shine halfway through the year. And then the other half of the year, you never get sleep because the sun's always up. We're going to help and lock arms with him this week. Why? Because we believe that the gospel is to go forth throughout the world and our lives have been changed. And it's no longer about our kingdom, but about God's kingdom. And so it's not just simply build a church at Luke 4.18, but it's build God's church through his power, through his strength, through Christ in us. We're called to go. Jesus spoke this right before he ascended in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. I love that. Go therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Because I have all authority. Because I have died on the cross for your sins and I have risen on the third day and I have conquered death, hell, and the grave. Therefore, go. I give you the authority through the power of the Holy Spirit in you to go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I love this. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, will we be like the first church? Will we proclaim the gospel? I can tell you, as long as I'm pastoring here, we will always focus on the gospel and Jesus from this platform. But can I tell you that it's not simply me? It must be all of us. Can I tell you that as long as I'm pastoring here, I'm going to follow my face and say, God, search me and know me. And if I'm not doing that, I pray that you would call me out as, as, a, as a brother in Christ. Because I believe that we're called to repent and to seek the Lord. And to let God speak in and through us. But church is not just me. It's the body of Christ. It's the church. We're called to repent. And to turn to him. Church can I tell you that as long as I'm pastoring here. My heart is to see us grow in Christ daily. But let me tell you it doesn't just start. I mean it's not simply just me growing. It's all of us called to grow every day in Christ Jesus. I can tell you that as long as I'm pastor here, I believe that, that we will see growth in, in reconciliation of one to another, that we will live those out in community. But it's not simply me, it's all of us. And church, can I tell you that I will continue to push forward for the nations because God has called us to go throughout the nations. But let me just tell you, it must be here in our city, with this body. That's the reason why here at Luke 4.18, our vision is know Christ intimately. Grow in Christ daily and go in Christ throughout the world. But church, it all starts with us falling on our face before the great I Am. And proclaiming that Christ is Lord of the church. That he's the head here.
I told you all that it's really difficult for me to take a time of, of sabbatical rest. And I made the statement last week, it's probably hard because of pride. Can I tell you that the Lord continues to tell me, David, if it's a personality, the church will fall. But if it's Christ as the center, it will go forth. Church, may we live out the characteristics that we see in the first church.